With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a bonus transfer pod here on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Harry Sethi. As the dust settles on the summer transfer window and the business clock side have conducted, on today's pod we'll be looking to gain a greater insight into the last player through the door in Bayern Munich's Ryan Gravenbosch. However, given his time in the Bundesliga was short-lived, on this pod we'll be focusing in on Gravenberg's emergence at Ajax and just what Klopp must have seen in the young midfielder to have pursued him for so long. Joining me on the podcast to share his perspectives on the Reds' latest arrival, I'm delighted to welcome on Dutch football writer for the BBC, The Blizzard, and editor of the Hardball Substack, Elko Born. Welcome, Elko. Good to speak with you. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, no, like... I'll be a virtually absolutely, but we, we just we. I wanted to speak to you, and I, and I wanted to speak to, um, like, well, anybody who watched a lot of the Eredivisie and, of course, is more familiar with, with Ryan Gravenberg. That's who we're here to talk about today. He's obviously completed his move to to Liverpool from from Bayern Munich. Um, happened to, on on transfer deadline day, which I suppose is quite rare for Liverpool over the past few seasons in terms of well, since Klopp's arrived in terms of the organization of. Wanting to get players in early, wanting them to be able to sort of have a preseason, understand the system that we're we're trying to play, and you know, get accustomed to being at the club, I suppose. So he's he's got all of that ahead of him. But um, we've been trying to get more of an understanding as to the the type of player Liverpool assigned, um, and I think there's there's been some some excerpts, all right, from like his his first interview with the club and, and Klopp's comments on him, but. I'd be really interested in getting your like um, opinion on his his time breaking through at Ajax. So I suppose I mean starting off, I mean where where did it all start for for Ryan Gravenberg in terms of his 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 footballing journey? Uh, well, obviously he came from uh, the academy at Ajax. Uh, you know, the Ajax academy has uh, still to this day a pretty good reputation, I think. Mm-hmm. But it has to be said, in recent years, not that many players have been able to make the transition from the academy yeah. to the first team at Ajax and really become a, a, a first-class player. A couple of exceptions here and there, of course. The academy is still doing well. But more and more in recent years as, as well, Ajax have been scouting and signing young players a couple of years before they... Uh, 
they come into the first team and they'll spend a couple of years at the uh, under-19s and then maybe in young Ajax, the sort of reserves team. Uh, so, you know, uh, yeah, in a way that's part of the youth academy, but that's not truly maybe a youth academy product. But for, for Gravenberg, in his case, um, uh, he's from Amsterdam. He's a local lad. He, uh, uh, he, he got to the IX Academy, got to the first team, um, joined the first team uh, around that year where they did really well in the Champions League under Eric Ten Hag Ajax. Didn't play much that year. Obviously, um, the player playing in his role perhaps was Frankie de Jong that year. And then when hmm. Frankie de Jong left, that was for Gravenberg his time to really step up. Uh, and, and I think you could argue that he became de Jong's successor at Ajax. Sure, yeah. And I, I was trying to sort of pinpoint exactly when he broke into the first team. And it's, I mean, you, you mentioned some of those names there and I think people are familiar with with that really talented crop of um, sort of Ajax youngsters and then where they've gone on from, from then. And sort of, yeah, as you said, so sort of there's, there, there's been a relative um, level of success for, for each of them, I suppose. And I think each of them actually has seemed to be thrown into some sort of weird situations as well. I'm thinking about uh, um, the likes of De Jong and thinking about the likes of um, the Ligt as well in terms of like, like, Opinions on on how their stock like maybe hasn't risen in the way in which people would have expected it from after they left Ajax. And, and one thing that struck me when I saw like some of the the information around Gravenberg and him breaking into the team was was just how young he was when he did that. Uh, you mentioned there, so young Ajax and coming through the academy as well. He was was he seventeen when he made his first sort of uh, senior debut for for the club. Yeah, 17, yeah. I think at the time it was a record for, or close to the record at Ajax, but not quite the record. I, I, I'm not quite sure, but he was 17. And even for Ajax standards, that felt, uh, as very young. But you could, you could tell by that time that he was, uh, very, very talented. He'd been touted for years as sort of the next wonder kid uh, oh, right. coming up uh, through the academy. So people did expect him to make his uh, his debut at a very young age. Um, and, and, and you know, usually how it goes at Ajax, if you're needed in that position and you're ready to step up as Gravenberg uh, was, then you'll get your chance. And he, he did get his chance. And, um, yeah, he uh, – uh, it became a great success for him and for Ajax as well in the end. And people will be familiar, I suppose, with sort of Frankie de Jong and, and, and the way in which he um, played in that position for, for Ajax and for Ten Hag. Um, Gravenberg is obviously a different kind of player to uh, Frankie de Jong. I mean, they have some similarities, but like in terms of um, the the kind of player and, and the kind of role that he fulfilled for the Ajax team when he came in, what was... Could you expand a little bit on that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think you're right. He's he's definitely a different type of player from Frankie de Jong. But I think his role at Ajax was very similar. So Ajax usually play uh, with three midfielders, and they did so uh, under Eric Ten Hag as well, um, where Frankie de Jong was usually actually uh, the six, so the defensive midfielder. And then there'd be an eight as well and, and a more offensive number 10. And Frankie de Jong, he was the number six, mostly the most 
position-wise, the most defensive uh, midfielder. But his role was usually, and in that year where they did so well in the Champions League uh, as well, for Ajax, Frankie de Jong's role was to... to, um, transfer the ball from playing out from the back uh, uh, and make sure... Because you, you, Frankie de Jong usually uh, is able to uh, uh, just dribble past a couple of guys. So his role was to take the ball from the back and make sure it gets further upfield uh, to the attackers, usually by, uh, you know, beating his opponent opponent, and maybe another guy as well and, 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 and uh, seeking out that pinpoint pass. So that's what Frankie de Jong did a lot as well. So when Frankie de Jong left, that was a problem for Ajax. That transition from uh, having the ball at the back and building up and going into attack. Um, and ultimately, I think it was Gravenberg who helped Ajax uh, in that role when he really broke through after Frankie de Jong left. He didn't do that from that most withdrawn number six position. I would say he's more of an eight Gravenberg, a number eight uh, uh, on the pitch in midfield. Uh, as I said, I usually plays with three midfielders. So that'd be a number 10 uh, in front of Gravenberg as well, a more defensive-minded player behind him. Uh, and Gravenberg making sure in between uh, that midfield and defense and attack are all linked to each other. Uh, and he did that really well from that number eight position. So there's a lot of running involved with that. He did that quite well at the Ajax. Uh, but also being able to uh, beat your opponent, take the ball further upfield, and then seeking out that pass. Yeah, I think that's one of the aspects that I think has probably raised the most questions actually about his about his transfer, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's been a, a phrase of multifunctional that's been banded about, about a number of Liverpool signings this, this summer. I mean, sort of, sort of the way in which he can dovetail in a number of, a number of positions. McAllister certainly, uh, is, strikes me as that sort of player as well. And I, I suppose, I mean, obviously the rival of Otara Endo is more of a, a dedicated defensive midfielder, um, albeit, you know, further on in his career. I think people were looking and, and, and wondering whether Liverpool would sign a a sort of dedicated number six. So it's interesting to hear you mention there that you know, he perhaps he started his career um, playing some, no, well, a little bit of that role for for Ajax, but that he would uh, he quickly identify himself as a box to box player. I mean, this is this is what the player said in his own interview um, about he, he's a box to box player, the number eight, he likes to to to, to dribble with the ball. Um, he's talented at doing uh, doing that, which is I, I have to admit for a six foot three player is kind of rare. You, know, he, he obviously don't see don't tend to see many six foot three uh, players who, who who possess such strong dribbling ability. Um, but but that question I was I was talking about there around him, him not being, for example, a a uh, a designated number six, for example, even when he came into the Ajax setup. From what I'm understanding from you, you're saying that there was a more defensive minded player behind him in that side. Yeah, for sure. There was that more defensive player behind him. Uh, Tenor experimented with uh, Gravenberg in the number six role as well, but uh, that's not where he ended up playing. And I would think that he um, he he is the type of player who needs a more defensive-minded player, uh, midfielder behind him. Uh, you're right. He's quite a tall player, quite a strong player, uh, but still a very good dribbler. And... Um, yeah, I would make the assumption uh, uh, to 
to pinpoint him as the most defensive uh, minded player because uh, that's hmm. not really uh, that's not I don't think that's ultimately where his best abilities are are you that person who has everything the coolest merch and those must have fan threads well over at our Anfield Index shop we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection from our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. So you're saying he's actually more of an offensive player in terms of, sort of his ability, like in the attacking in the attacking phase of the pitch. I would say so. Yeah. Mm, interesting. No, yeah, I, I think that's why it's raised the uh, <laughs> raised so many questions because it, it it appears at the moment. I mean, from the games I've seen of Liverpool this season, anyway, um, the, the midfield is effectively rotating. Uh, or the, the, the players who are in there are rotating in their positions, and it, like I think in the last game anyway, there was a double pivot between McAllister and uh, it looked like Trent at times, but then like Soboslai would would drop in when needed, and uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so you can see him fitting into that rotation as a sort of a number eight uh, that has the capability of dropping back in when he needs to, but but albeit maybe not being a midfielder who has those defensive instincts. Uh, like that, that are inherent to him. I mean, I, I saw a lot of people when the signing was first suggested saying, "Oh, that's great! You know, he he can come and Klopp can mold him into a six. I don't think that's well. That, that's not really my sense of what the the kind of player he is. I mean, do, do, do you think that's realistic or not? Uh, well, I think I think maybe they're not. Uh, they might not be far off because it all depends, obviously, what Klopp is planning to do with him. I think you got to remember that at Ajax, mm. especially when they played so well in those years uh, under Ten Hag, uh, usually it's pretty easy for Ajax to dominate possession, yeah. um, to do almost in the easy, do bit tactically, basically do whatever they like. Uh, and in that regard, Grafenberg had a very offensive role. But for, as for a lot of players who graduate from the Eredivisie and move on to the Premier League, it's not always as easy to do that same thing in the Premier League. So, you know, it's just we're just speculating here, but I could see Klopp and uh, seeing Gravenberg more as a defensive-minded midfielder. Maybe that he will try to mold him in, into a number six, because even though he is... So a player with technical abilities and uh, with the ability to be offensive-minded as well. At Ajax, that's a standard for a midfielder, but obviously in the Premier League, you need more. So so I, maybe that's part of Klopp's thinking, where a player like Gravenberg in the Eredivisie in the Netherlands for Ajax, you know, he's quite far up the pitch. He's involved in the attack a lot as well. Obviously, as a defensive midfielder in the Premier League, you'll need to be technically able as well and be able to pass the ball as well. But then also Gravenberg has his physique and his ability to run. Uh, he has that as well. So it could be part of Klopp's reasoning that, okay, a player like Gravenberg, who's 
you know, who will be pushed into that offensive role at Ajax anyway. That's that's maybe not what we expect from our number six at Liverpool, but a player who can do what he did at Ajax, we will need those abilities uh, in the number six role as well in the Premier League. You will need those. So so maybe he sees something there that we uh, that we uh, you know can speculate about, but I wouldn't be surprised if that is part of his reasoning. Yeah, I th- I th- it's, it seems this. The suggestions around this uh, this signing is that it's he, he's been a player that the club has admired for for quite a few years, even prior to him sort of moving to to Bayern Munich when he did. Um, and I think that yeah, you you you'd assume that there's a there has to be a clear plan in place, and that, uh, you'd imagine that would have been formed part of the of the sales pitch, I guess, to to, to Lavenberg to to come across to Liverpool that, that yeah, he'd have a clearer role. Uh, in the side that he obviously enjoyed during his time in Bayern Munich. Just one point what you mentioned there was obviously his physicality, uh, which will uh, no doubt suit him or, or, uh, well in the Premier League, um, given some of the different sort of demands, um, I suppose, of a, of a number six maybe in um, in in the league. Um, what other aspects of his sort of technical ability or, or his, his style as a player do you think uh, perhaps will be well suited to to the Premier League? Um, well, like he said, similar to Frankie, the, the young's role at Ajax, mm. he's, he's able to receive the ball from the fence, uh, and not just play a, a horizontal pass or play the ball back, but make sure that you actually transition, uh, the ball further up the pitch. And he was very intelligent always in that regard. Sometimes he would use his physique to get past his man. Uh, but position wise as well, I, I thought it was always very interesting how he'd be a part of, um, that phase of play. Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL index. We don't just have the Anfield index stuff. We've got EPL index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, playing out from the back just all mm. the time, but then he would also make sure that he's there standing outside the box uh, to shoot the ball if needed or uh, deliver a pass from there into the box. So uh, quite an intelligent player, I would say as well. Absolutely, and yeah, I think obviously one of the things that's been been pivotal uh, when Fabinho was at the club, and like, certainly during his peak, was that yeah, as you say, that ability to receive the ball from the defence and uh, play his way out of uh, usually a press, of course, or, or make an angle to receive the pass, and then have the confidence to be able to go past. Not not maybe as many players as Frankie De Jong uh, has uh, has shown his ability to do so, but yeah. 
at least one one or two to maybe to, to to relieve himself of pressure and, and then be able to to spot a progressive pass i suppose um i mean we, we when you look just purely at the paper and you and you sort of see the the number of appearances that he made were you surprised that he made the decision to leave ajax um so soon because i think we've seen a number of really talented young players uh, come through ajax and i think there's merits to staying for a certain period of time and uh, really honing their craft and or perhaps even just developing a little bit more before before making a, the next step um certainly seen that with with a number of the other players who've who've eventually moved on um so only 72 appearances for the senior team um before he decided to to make that move um what do you think was behind that sort of eagerness i mean it's hard to be in his head right but uh I get the impression that Ajax fans did think it was he'd, he'd, he'd taken a step a bit too soon. Yeah, the general feeling here was that it was that it was quite soon for him to leave. I think one more year at Ajax would have been good for him. Uh, obviously, at Ajax, people are used to players leaving at a, at a certain time, uh, but the timing here felt a little bit early. On the other hand, the year before that. Uh, Ajax had another relatively good season in the Champions League. Uh, they didn't get as far as the, that year when they got to the semi-final, but uh, I remember them beating uh, Borussia Dortmund in the group phase, and just the, that game looked so they looked so so good. So I think the reasoning there was okay. We uh, we've had our our classic performance for Gravenberg as well against Dortmund. Uh, uh, the whole of Europe has seen it. All the big clubs have seen it. This is our time now to make that big move uh, and sign a huge contract somewhere. And in that regard, um, um, uh, you got to see where he's coming from because Ajax doesn't do that every single year. Obviously, only once every couple of years usually, or sometimes they don't succeed for a very long time to get very far in the Champions League. And that's usually where other clubs and other fans and other uh, leagues will notice you, right? So I think after that year where they beat Borussia Dortmund uh, um, in the group phase, I believe that must have been in 2000 and uh, must have been 2000. 20 then? 2000, yeah, 2000. Yeah, oh, that's it. Yeah. Uh, 4 to 1, uh, I believe, something like that. They played really well. And I think mm. after that, they just decided, okay, we really made a mark now and uh, this is our time to make that big move. Yeah. And you mentioned they're staying at Ajax for maybe one more year to to hone his craft. I mean, what were the areas of his game that you felt perhaps he did still need to develop um, before taking that move that he ultimately did? Well, at Ajax, uh, like I mentioned before as well, especially for midfielders and attackers, I think. So offensive, yeah. It's just, uh, a lot of it is so easy. Just in the Eredivisie, (laughs) you know, uh, it's really hard to... uh, uh, to compare the type of opposition Ajax gets in the Eredivisie to anything, any opponent uh, in the Premier League or the Bundesliga, for that matter, and in the, in Europe as well, if the team is flowing and playing well, like Ajax did for a lot of the time uh, in those years, then obviously even for a young player, it's it's relatively easy to uh, latch onto that. Um, 
But if you join a team where, for whatever reasons, things aren't flowing that well immediately, uh, it's, it's, it must be quite a lot harder to become part of that team and make your mark there. And, and, and like I said before, before as well, uh, the opposition for a club like Bayern Munich, week to week in the league and in Europe, and the pressure they're under as well, and it'll be the same in the Premier League, it's just so much different from what he's used to uh, at Ajax. And I think that can be quite a problem for young players who do well at Ajax, who are used to everything going their way because everything usually goes very well for Ajax. Uh, but then uh, joining a team like Bayern Munich or any Premier League team probably, it's just a whole other matter sometimes. And sometimes at a young age, I think, I think it can be very difficult mentally as well to make that step. Yeah, that's an interesting aspect that you bring up. Like, I, I think I've, I've seen enough comments from 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 the player himself that seem to sort of back that up, if you will. That he's yeah, you know, he enjoyed such a such a meteoric rise at a young age. Everything going well for him, as you say, coming into an IX team who largely dominate those games. So it's a nice environment to really develop as a as a young player. You can be more offensive and perhaps enjoy yourself in those aspects of the game. Uh, Bayern Munich, as you mentioned, he was he was effectively competing with the likes of uh, Joshua Kimmich and uh, Leon Goretzka as well to to get into that team. Um, it's a tough competition. I mean, like Kimmich is like Mister Bayern Munich, I suppose, in terms of, sort of the way in which he's he's molded himself as a player. Uh, and Goretzka, I mean, a, a, a fierce competitor in that role, even even if he perhaps is on or has been on the decline for um, for a little while now, maybe physically. So it's clearly a tough, a tough case for the player over there. Like uh, I was speaking to uh, a, a Bayern Munich, uh, a journalist who covers Bayern Munich anyway, and I, I have to admit, that before I spoke to the journalist, I, I didn't realize just how few uh, games he he had started for the club, um, and just how often he was used as a as a as a substitute in the Bundesliga. But one thing that um, I wanted to ask you about as well, you've talked you talked a lot about his on the ball. Abilities, and I'm looking forward to seeing those. And actually, I think Liverpool have a a very talented group now of like uh, uh, midfielders on the ball in terms of their technical capabilities and how they can dovetail together. Um, but one uh, sort of standard, I suppose, for anybody coming into a Liverpool team under Klopp in midfield is uh, the ability, I was at physical capacity, if you will, right? The ability to uh, press to a certain level to be able to understand those triggers and. Um, and do that effectively, especially if you're going to be viewed as a uh, the more defensive of the options that are available. Uh, of, I mean, again, maybe you're, you're obviously referencing the, his time at Ajax as well more than Munich. But uh, how was Gravenberg off the ball in terms of that intensity of press that we've come to expect from from a club midfielder? I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My LibertyShield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, 
and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Um, yeah, I, again here, I think it's important that at IOX, they, uh, nice, yeah. um, at IOX, it's just usually the case that they dominate position, right? Mm. And um, um, uh, especially in the Eredivisie, uh, winning the ball back and putting that pressure on is usually uh, uh, something that goes relatively easy as well. Um, um, and when you, yeah, again, when you compare his uh, his role in the team, that was never as the most defensive-minded player. I think his best year was when he had uh, Edson Alvarez, who joined uh, West Ham United this yes. summer, yes. Uh, right behind him, who's a much more aggressive player, much more defensive-minded player. And that worked really well for Ajax. I think those two in the team with a number 10 in front of them uh, was usually uh, was when Gavenberg was really able to shine. Um, so again, that's that will be something that will be very, could be different for him in, in the Premier League. And... Um, Klopp must see it in him, but but I haven't seen it yet at Ajax. Uh, but it would be unfair to judge him on that, perhaps, because, again, at, at Ajax, tactically, these things uh, don't play that big of a role, usually. No, yeah, I'm I'm conscious of doing that, and I think it's... I mean, I mean there's only so much you can analyse of a player's career who's, who's 21 years of age, uh, and this, yeah, this will be his... Well, his third club, I suppose, in terms of, yeah, at senior level. So, and he's like, what, just under a hundred appearances. If you combine both Ajax and uh, the games he played for Bayern Munich as well. So this is a, a player very much at the start or still at the start of his, his career. Uh, uh, I, mean, oh, I agree. Well, I, I agree with you on that. On the other hand, you could argue that for a player his age, he is already quite experienced, played mm. a lot of league games for Ajax. Because yeah. after when he broke through, he he was a, a part of the starting eleven week in week out. Did not uh, was not injured very often. Played a lot of well, played a number of big games for Ajax under pressure as well in the Champions League. Obviously, didn't play as, play as much uh, in Munich, but he did make a move abroad already, and now he's making another uh, move abroad for him. So you are right, of course. On the other hand, if you are looking for a 21-year-old midfielder with some international experience already, mm-hmm. and uh, he could be it. So uh, that is interesting because we do forget sometimes that he's he's still very very young. Yeah, no, I, I think I think I've been I've been taking a step back and trying to consider that a little bit more recently because. I think yeah, there's, there's there is such a rush for the players who come into I mean the team certainly under Liverpool, uh, well under Klopp, uh, given the just I, I guess obscene competitiveness of the Premier League at the moment. If you want to try and if you want to try and win it, um, that you, have, you almost have to arrive and be perfect, uh, you know, uh, at uh, at the start. But I think there's a number of really exciting young players in this Liverpool side now who we are going to have to wait and and, and be patient with to see. See how they adapt, see how they develop. Um, but, but having said that, as you say, he, you know, he, he, ha- he has 
uh, must have quite a lot of experience already for a player so young. Um, so it's, I, I guess whenever you see a player with these with these physical traits as well, at times you think that they've been around forever. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's still very much at the start of his career. I, I, I question for you then, I mean, because we, we, we've we've touched upon it a few times, and I think Liverpool fans were sort of scratching their head a little bit as to sort of where he fits in, as you say, Klopp must have a vision for him. Uh, again, I'm asking you to, to, to do a, a hypothetical uh, here, but if if you were to sort of envisage where he fits into this Liverpool setup, knowing the the, the, the different options that are now available um, and the you know a little bit of the league as well, I mean, how do you uh, how how do you expect to see him uh, integrated? I mean, I suppose it's a question for all of us. Uh, I think you would be better off asking that to a Liverpool expert. Probably, <laughs> probably my, yeah, asking myself. I'm, I'm asking you to validate. What do you think? think? I I don't know. Uh, I I think he's a number eight. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's a talented number eight, and it seems as though the plan, well, unless unless the plan is to really work on integrating Wataru Endo uh, into into the side as the as the defensive specialist and then you just have a number of eights depending on who's who's chosen for that game. I mean they're well McAllister, Soberschlei, Jones, uh and now Gravenbush as well, um like as options. I, mean, I guess in my head I'm seeing all of those fighted out for a position in the team. Um and each of those had I think has their has their relative strengths. I think Soberschlei from what I've seen uh looks to be more of the flair player uh who um, has an incredible engine um, uh, about his game, but also seems to have that ability to, well, score screamers, uh, be a bit more competitive. Um, McAllister seems to have no problem putting in understated 90 minutes after understated 90 minutes uh, and doing a, a sensible job retaining the ball. And Gravenbush, well, I, I, I don't know, I've not seen enough of the guy to to know, but from everything everyone tells me, uh, he seems to seems to fit somewhere in the in the middle of those, you know. So <laughs> I think it's uh, he's yeah. I think my confusion is he seems quite similar to the other players that have been brought in. Um, so I suppose I was a little bit confused as to sort of why there wasn't uh, a pursuit for somebody who's a bit more you know like lives for defending, as you say, like uh, you, when you were describing Edson Alvarez. Yeah, yeah. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see because. Even though he's still very young, for him personally, yet another year of not getting a lot of playing time yeah. would obviously uh, not be ideal for him career-wise. So I do worry a little bit. Uh, will he get enough playing time to uh, continue developing or will this be a second year for him where he's kind of uh, uh, not part of uh, uh, a lot that's happening on the pitch? It's, it's a little worrisome, I think, for him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing we've just seen that she just broke today, isn't it? Is that the, the, that the player himself has made the decision not to, not to join up with the under 21s for, for the Netherlands. Um, I, I guess presumably just to stay and use the international break to get bedded in a little bit. Um, at, yeah. at his new club and maybe just pure tactical sessions for, for the next, uh, for the next two weeks to sort of understand, well, what that vision is that we're talking about, right? I think if we do this pod, cast in a, in a five or six weeks maybe maybe it becomes much clearer sort of what the idea is for him um but he's, he's obviously made that decision i have to say i'm a, a somewhat surprised at sort of the the reaction i've seen to that decision from both managers i suppose you can never be happy uh, or in public anyway when a player chooses, chooses not to join up but 
I mean, we, we, have you been at all surprised by that? From uh, if you've seen the comments from Kuman or uh, or the other twenty-one manager. Oh, uh, yeah, a little bit surprised by it. On the other hand, yeah, you can see it from his perspective as well, mm. right? It's it, it, it might feel a little bit make or break for him right now. Uh, it must be hectic as well to uh, to uh, wait uh, for all until deadline day until you uh, until uh, the move happens for you. So um, um, uh, it must have been a tense period for him this uh, this uh, transfer period so uh, from his perspective i can i can see uh see it as well uh, of course yeah i think that, that was the last thing as well okay. whenever young players don't develop at the rate in which many people expect them to having played fifa or whatever or like yeah, they, they, they the young players um like uh, the, all these allegations you know tend to come out all these narratives come out around attitude and you know not trading hard enough or anything like that and i i'm i'm quite keen to put that to bed i mean like uh, i'm not i'm not going to ask you that you know, you've been there on the trading pitch and you've seen firsthand his attitude or whatever but i, I do you get the impression that's that's overblown uh yeah massively <laughs> but i think that's the, i think that's always the case we're talking about a very, very young guy here, and obviously he's he's playing sports at an elite level. Mm. Uh, but still, uh, he's just a person as well, right? Very young, and uh, it must be uh, it must be pretty big to um, to have all that pressure on you to perform well from a very young age to do well, and then have to move abroad and you have to do it again in a different country for a different club where uh, literally millions are at stake. And then you have people negotiating about your contract all the time and you have to sign another contract in another country and fly over there and move over there. And they expect you to be a number six as well as a number eight and a number 10. And, you, and the pressure must be huge for him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, and like you said as well, sometimes it feels like, especially in the Premier League, I have to say, uh, new signings are made, fans get really excited. Then they play one or two games and if they don't immediately immediately make a huge uh, impression people are disappointed all of a sudden and there's sometimes it doesn't feel like there's part of a trajectory where they say okay uh, you're a young talented player we're going to give you time to develop we have these plans we're going to try something if it doesn't work we might change it a little bit but we have we trust you we have faith in you as a player I don't hear that often enough in in uh, in football sometimes uh, from the clubs themselves, but from fans sometimes as well. Obviously, not all fans, but uh, and that must be really difficult as well because if you're unlucky your first couple of games, or you pick up a slight injury and something happens, or or whatever it is, yeah. it, it might already feel like it's over for you, and and that's not great. Yeah, I think that, that that's one thing I'm, I'm encouraged about. I mean, I, I think you, I'm starting to see that a little bit more uh, within the Liverpool fan base. I think just because in the, I think I, I spoke in another part about the way in which uh, the well, the money coming into football, uh, especially now, and um, uh, the way in which City, I suppose, have have distorted the 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 level of competition in in the Premier League at the moment. If it'll, 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 I think people fear uh, that if you don't hit the ground running, that's it. You know, oh, we wasted our chance here. We've we've not won our opening four games, so we're not going to win the title. You know, it's, it's 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 that sort of mentality. I think that that, that definitely has crept in at times. Um, 
uh, amongst Liverpool fans. So given that 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 just that sheer desire to to compete with with um, the standards that City are setting, which is obviously it's an incredibly difficult thing to to do. But you imagine Klopp. Um, I mean, you don't need to imagine. You've seen it that he's a a manager who uh, isn't like that when it comes to young talent. He seems to give an awful lot of patience to uh, players that he, he he's believed in and he's brought in. I think I was even thinking a little bit about uh, Darwin Nunez yesterday. You know, he didn't score yesterday. I suppose he hit the post and create, like sort of created an own goal. Uh, hit the bar again and then gets an assist. And then like I think I heard it from the commentators actually that they. Ah, he's back to his old ways, and you just like, and you're yeah. thinking, I mean, this is it's a very high bar for players to 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 clear. So yeah, I definitely agree, agree with you on that. Um, just just before we do wrap things up, then I'll kind of yeah, appreciate you giving us your your perspective on on the player. I mean, again, I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball here a, a little bit, but I mean, what would your what would your hopes, what would your expectations be for for the player? Well, I hope I hope that uh, he remains fit. I hope that Klopp. Um, develops a relationship uh, with him, and, and I agree with you. I think Klopp is the type of manager to do that. So in that regard, I think it's it's a very good move for him. Uh, I think Klopp might be the right type of manager for him in this phase of his career. So I hope that goes well. I hope the fans give him a little bit of time, a little bit of patience. I hope the uh, the club does that as well, and Klopp, and you know that he gets some playing time. And obviously, he will need to perform as well when he does get playing time. I hope he does that. I'm confident he can do that uh, if conditions are right and if things go well for him. Um, um, I think I think uh, he could become a success at uh, at Liverpool. Uh, it might not happen uh, straight away uh, as soon as he hits the pitch in the first minute. But um, yeah, if there's a plan and. And 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 hopefully there is um, uh, for his role as well in the team and in the squad on that midfield and live for Liverpool. Um, uh, yeah, uh, all all that he needs is a, is a little bit of time, I think, and and he could uh, become uh, quite good for Liverpool. Yeah, I think as 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 long as the plan is clearer, then I think uh, uh, I made it sound when I tried to articulate it earlier on. I think that's that's probably the most important thing that, that for him, and I'm sure that's going to be what these next few weeks are are about when he stays back uh, to um to, yeah to get more bedded in uh, at, at the club. But anyway, I'm, I'm conscious that, uh, of letting you go, and then that, yeah, thanks again for for sharing your insight on on the player who again despite his the number of appearances he's made is still is still very young uh so there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of hypotheticals that we've discussed but you really appreciate you uh you coming on and yeah lending us your opinion on the player okay thank you very much it was uh, great talking to you we hope you enjoyed listening to this anfield index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show the best way to get in touch is over on our free discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest lfc topics 24 7 sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord you won't regret it you can also follow us on twitter at anfield index and find us on facebook by searching for anfield index Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. 
It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.